January 1891, Honolulu in the Hawaiian Kingdom. The city was abuzz with preparation for the king's return. Triumphal arches decorated with evergreen and inscribed with joyous inspirations lined the route from the wharf to the palace. The princess regent had sent out invitations to a ball to be held on the evening of the arrival of King Kalakoa from California. But when the islanders spotted the king's ship, the Charleston, sailing in the distance, they were shocked to see it flying black flags. Word of the flags got back to the king's sister. It was reported that the ship Charleston was in sight, with yards cock-billed in token of mourning. Telegraphs began chirping from high atop Diamond Head Volcano, spreading grim rumors to all corners of the island nation. On the arrival of the Charleston in port, we were officially notified the fate which we feared must have befallen the king. King Kalakoa was dead. The Grand Royal Ball turned into a funeral procession, and all eyes turned to the next in line. But not all those eyes were friendly. Before I had time to collect myself, a trap was sprung upon me by those who stood waiting as a wild beast watches for his prey. In that moment, the king's sister, a woman named Lilio Kalani, became the first queen of Hawaii. She didn't know it yet, but she'd also be the last. From Gimlet Media, this is Not Past It, a show about the stories we can't quite leave behind. Every episode, we take a moment from that very same week in history and tell you the story of how it shaped our world. I'm Simone Polanin. On January 29th, 1891, 131 years ago this week, Queen Lilio Kalani took the Hawaiian throne. Her reign would be one of heart-wrenching turmoil as the remote island nation slipped through her fingers into the fists of greedy newcomers. We'll ride those waves after the break. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Beautiful beaches hula dancing, HBO's television hit, The White Lotus. There's a good chance that if I say Hawaii, those are some of the images conjured in your mind. But what do you really know about the history of the 50th state? Pearl Harbor? Something vague about surfing? Well, it turns out that for a long time, even the people who grew up there weren't taught much more. Or I should say, they were taught much worse. As someone who grew up in the public education system here in Hawaii, the only things we were told about 
our people and our history were things that were very negative. That's Helani Sonoda Pale. She grew up in Hawaii and is Kanaka Maoli, or descendant of the original peoples. And the things that Helani was taught about the history of her people weren't just negative. It was full-blown demonization. Like, for example, that we committed infanticide, where we, as Kanaka Maoli, used to actually kill our children if there were any birth defects, or because we were so lazy, we didn't want to raise our own children, we would kill them. Helani remembers that her school's curriculum painted her ancestors as essentially evil, savage. But for Helani, these images were turned on their head in the early 1990s. I was taking my first Hawaiian studies course in college. I was like, wow, you know, we had our own nation and we were, we were on the right side of history. You know, contrary to what they've made us think all these decades. Here's some of the stuff Heilani's teachers never told her. In 1810, King Kamehameha officially unified a group of island farming communities into the kingdom of Hawaii. It was an agricultural paradise. The Kanaka Maoli farmed bananas, taro, and sugar. Sugar that attracted a bunch of new settlers. And that's where, essentially, the trouble began. These settlers included missionaries from the United States and Europe. And these missionaries, when they arrived on the islands, they saw an opportunity not just to save souls, but also to make money. And so white settlers started flooding in to plant and process sugar. Within the next five decades, plantations would become a mainstay of the Hawaiian economy, supplying over 100,000 tons of sugar to the rest of the world. These commercial enterprises brought new wealth to the kingdom, and along with the riches came democracy, The monarchy introduced a constitutional system that allowed the people to elect representatives to the legislature, while the royal family remained heads of state. By now, white settlers already had control of much of the island economy, but they also saw an opportunity to control island politics. Specifically, they wanted a way out of paying import taxes when they sold sugar to the United States. All of this brings us to 1887. The king at the time was named Kalakaua. He's the king we told you about at the top of the show, who returned on the ship with the black flags of mourning. On July 6th, five years before the king died, a militia of mostly white men approached Kalakaua with a proposition. Sign a new constitution or we'll kill you. So the king acquiesced. After that constitution was introduced in 1887, you did not have to be a citizen to vote. That's Zita Kup Choi, historian for Iolani Palace, the main royal palace of Hawaii. She says the new laws expanded voting rights for some people and restricted them for others. 
And because of the income and property requirements had increased, many more Native Hawaiians were disenfranchised. In other words, if you were a rich white landowner, even if you weren't a citizen, you could vote. If you were a Native Hawaiian laborer, you probably couldn't. These new laws got nicknamed the Bayonet Constitution because sometimes you gotta call it like it is. The king hated that he'd been forced to do this, and so did his sister, Lilio Kalani. She was his heir apparent and had been Kalakaua's right-hand woman for decades. She's the real hero of our story, but we'll get to that. So Lilio Kalani and her brother, the king, spent the next four years trying to restore voting rights to their people, but nothing worked. And when King Kalakaua passed away, the white settlers in power saw an opening to take even more control. One issue, though, they weren't so fond of Kalakaua's successor, the new queen, Lilio Kalani. They weren't going to be able to manipulate her the way they were able to manipulate her brother. She wasn't going to be their puppet. She knew her own mind. She was going to do what she felt was correct and responsible, what was pono for the community. My personal opinion, their primary concerns was we don't want to be ruled by a woman. We don't want to be ruled by a non-Caucasian woman. So immediately after hearing that the king died, Kalakoa's cabinet, which by this point was made up of mostly white men who were chummy with the white landowners, noticing a theme here, they called an emergency meeting at Iolani Palace. The ministers called together the members of the council, and when all had taken their seats, sent for me. This is Queen Lilio Kalani. Well, not the real queen. We got a voice actor to read from the queen's memoir. I did not wish to take the oath just then and asked why such proceedings could not be deferred until after my brother's funeral. Why the rush? Well, these men wanted to send her a message. She would do what they wanted when they wanted it. After she was unceremoniously sworn in, one of the officials made a veiled, not so veiled threat. As he shook my hand, he said to me, should any of the members of your cabinet propose anything to you, say yes. But Queen Lilio Kalani had other plans. She wanted to overturn the Bayonet Constitution, following through on what she and her brother had started. She was bound and determined to do it, but she wanted to do it the way the Constitution said it could be changed, because she didn't want anybody to be accusing her of treason. For a little over a year, Queen Lilio Kalani focused on peacefully convincing the legislature to change the Constitution. She is working with the Legislative Assembly, working with the courts, working with other organizations in the community. She's operating within the confines of the law. And while Queen Lilio Kalani was lobbying the legislature, her people, the Kanaka Maoli, were mounting their own resistance campaign. Zita says the Hawaiian people had a political tradition of voicing their concerns through petitions, real heavy-duty legal documents. 
Real legalese language. Whereas, 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 please do this. Because this is how the Hawaiian community and the non-Hawaiian community were trained to approach the monarchs and trained to approach the legislators. Use the legal language. The petitions demonstrated overwhelming public support for restoring voting rights to many Kanaka Maoli. And Lilio Kalani encouraged them by visiting communities across the island nation. But meanwhile, the powerful white men were getting even more extreme. Now they had a new idea. Take over the kingdom of Hawaii as an American territory. In other words, annex Hawaii and fulfill their long-standing goal to stop paying import taxes and make even more money. So they ramped up their campaign to undermine the queen. Unfortunately, the 1892 Legislative Assembly, which started in January, fired five of her cabinets. One cabinet served only for six days. But Lilio Kalani pressed on. In the summer of 1892, she decided to take matters into her own hands and introduce a new constitution through what was effectively an executive order. She planned to present it to her people at Iolani Palace. Word traveled fast through the rumor mill, or coconut wireless as it's known on the islands. Her enemies caught wind of her plans. In response, they formed an insurrectionist group officially called the Committee of Safety. And they knew there was only one way to get what they wanted. We've got to take action. We need to get rid of the queen. After the break, Queen Lilio Kalani prepares to fight for her life, for her people, and for her kingdom. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Aloha and mahalo for staying with us. Before the break, we dived deep into the world of the Kingdom of Hawaii in the late 19th century. We met Queen Liliokalani, who took the throne in the middle of a power grab by Western colonizers, who were basically trying to annex Hawaii to avoid paying sugar import taxes. And now, Liliokalani was about to use all her remaining power to make a change for her people. So let's go to the lush grounds of Iolani Palace with their official historian, Zita Kup Choi. It's January 14th, 1893. Hundreds of people showed up on the palace grounds, waiting for her to come out on the lanai and announce, you have a new constitution. You can now participate in government again, in voting. As news of Queen Liliokalani's new constitution spread, members of the pro-annexation, insurrectionist Committee of Safety started spreading their own malicious false rumor that if the new constitution was enacted, white settlers might lose their property or worse, their lives. 
So they started stockpiling weapons. And as much as the queen wanted the new constitution, she didn't want any bloodshed. Zita says she made a last-minute decision and went out to speak to her supporters who gathered outside the palace. She basically tells them, I'm not going to be able to do it today. Go home, stay calm, stay cool. We'll get to it another day. Everyone went home, maybe a little deflated, but safe. For the committee, though, this was their moment to strike. So they got in contact with a man who would change Hawaii forever. His name was John L. Stevens. At the time, he was working for the U.S. Department of State as a minister to the kingdom. His full title was actually Envoy Extraordinary and Minister Plenipotentiary. The committee goes to Stevens, and they tell him that their lives and property are under threat. So they approach John L. Stevens and ask him to ask the captain of the USS Boston, which is in port, to land Marines to protect American lives and property, which were never in jeopardy. It was a lie, but it worked. On January 16th, two days after Lilio Kalani had planned to unveil her new constitution, the extraordinary plenipotentiary Stevens called in the military. More than 150 military personnel unloaded from the USS Boston, which was parked in Honolulu. So the US Marines were marching down the street They weren't threatening her, they were saluting her in the typical military manner. The United States military lined the streets between the palace and legislative building, called Ali'iolane Hale. It may not have been threatening, but it was a clear show of force. The committee seized the moment and marshaled about 1,000 armed militia members to sit outside the Capitol, laying in wait to dethrone the queen. For a whole day, the city waited nervously. Businesses were closed and the streets were quiet. But the next afternoon, the tension boiled over. It all started when a wagon drove towards the committee's camp, clicking and clacking as it went. Something about it didn't sit right with the Hawaiian police officer on duty, so he pulled it over. Inside the wagon was a bunch of ammunition. When the officer tried to arrest the driver, the driver pulled a gun and shot the officer right in the shoulder. The militia heard that gunshot and charged. They stormed Ali'iolane Hale, and with that, they made the coup official. They announced their new government on the Makai steps of Ali'iolani Hale, which is behind the statue of Kamehameha. They announced they are the government of Hawaii. From the palace, Queen Liliokalani knew her options were limited. Really, there was only one. Surrender. For now. Liliokalani, in order to prevent bloodshed, yields to the superior force of the United States, trusting that the president and the United States government will undo what some of her citizens have done. Now, to avoid any collision of armed forces and perhaps loss of life, I do, under this protest, and impelled by said forces, yield my authority until such time as the government of the United States shall, 
upon the facts being presented to it, undo the action of its representative and reinstate me in the authority which I claim as the constitutional sovereign of the Hawaiian Islands. Meanwhile, the Committee of Safety settled in. They set up their own provisional government and piled sandbags around the palace to protect themselves. They looted precious art and crowns and stripped decorations off the palace walls. A few weeks later, Minister Stevens recommended that the U.S. annex Hawaii. He wrote a letter to President Benjamin Harrison's Secretary of State back in Washington. Quote, The Hawaiian pear is now fully ripe, and this is the golden hour for the United States to pluck it. End quote. Colonizing and creepy. Ugh. Anyways. Harrison's administration was warming up to the prospect of Hawaiian annexation. But when Grover Cleveland took office a month later, that changed. Well, kinda. President Cleveland was pissed that Minister Stevens had gone rogue and formally dismissed him from his post. He then withdrew the annexation treaty that President Harrison's administration had supported. Cleveland also sent an investigator to Hawaii to get the real story. The resulting report concluded the coup was illegal and they recommended restoring the monarchy. So Cleveland kindly asked the Committee of Safety to cede control back to the Queen. Asked, but never really enforced it. So it never happened. All this time, the Hawaiian people were waiting with patience to hear from the American continent that justice was to be done and their constitutional rights restored by the great power to which they had trusted. But after a year of nothing, the Hawaiian people had enough. They started making plans to seize back power from the committee, by force if necessary. I told them that if the mass of the native people chose to rise and try to throw off the yoke, I would say nothing against it. But I could not approve of mere rioting. In January of 1895, Lilio Kalani's supporters tried to overthrow the republic. But things didn't turn in their favor. Scores of people were arrested. And in order to avoid them being executed, the queen officially stepped down, abdicating her throne. She was tried for treason, forced to five years hard labor, and given a fine equivalent to around $150,000 today. Ultimately, the sentence was reduced to just eight months of imprisonment in her palace. And that's how the first queen of Hawaii became the kingdom's final monarch. In terms of not knowing our true history, we were not taught that, and that was done on purpose. That's Helani Sonoda Pale again. Remember, she was born and raised on the island, but never really learned about Lilio Kalani until college. Well, since that time, she's taken up the Queen's cause. She works for Kalahui Hawaii Political Action Committee, just one of the groups carrying on Queen Liliokalani's fight to restore power to the Hawaiian people. 
The sovereignty movement is a movement where we are striving for self-governance, where we as a people can govern ourselves, our own lands, and our own nation. The ultimate goal is independence. The path towards that is self-determination. Queen Lilio Kalani didn't just inspire what they were fighting for. Helani says she also showed them how to fight for it. Queen Lilio Kalani taught our people how to protest. She said, no violence. Even faced with the biggest loss, even in the face of evil, I mean, that's all I can describe it as. Even faced with that, she showed compassion and she laid that foundation for us to assert our rights in a nonviolent way. She actually did the right thing. You know, if there was a war and we lost, then we would have been conquered, (laughs) you know? So we actually do have claims It's been nearly 130 years since the illegal overthrow of the Kingdom of Hawaii. In that time, the islands became a state in 1959. But really, that's the only thing that's changed. ...congratulates the new congressional representatives of Hawaii, adding the 50th and southernmost state with a land area of six and a half thousand miles... The legislature is still run by big business and the United States still reaps the benefits of occupation, something the U.S. government formally acknowledged in 1993. President Clinton signed a formal letter of apology to the people of Hawaii. He was apologizing on behalf of the U.S. government for the government's involvement a hundred years ago in removing the independent Hawaiian monarchy by force. And yet, still today, Americans can travel to Hawaii without a passport, slam Mai Tais, attend tourist-centric luau's, and drunkenly croon to one of Hawaii's most famous songs, one actually written by Queen Liliokalani herself. Aloha oe, aloha oe. It's called Aloha Oi, Farewell to Thee. It's a melancholy song about parting ways with a friend, saying goodbye to someone you love, and longing for the day of reuniting. Until we meet again, she wrote. A fitting tribute for the sentiment of the Kanaka Maoli. Still waiting, still fighting for her kingdom to be restored. Past It is a Spotify original produced by Gimlet and ZSP Media. This episode was produced by Julie Carley. Next week, a great heroic act by some loyal furry friends. He remembers thinking how strange it was that there was a dog team that was getting ready to go out in the middle of the night. That was very odd. 
The rest of our team is producer Sarah Craig and Amy Padula. Our associate producer is Ramoy Phillip. Laura Newcomb is our production assistant. The supervising producer is Erica Morrison. Editing by Maura Waltz, Andrea B. Scott, and Zach Stewart-Pontier. Star Kalahiki played the voice of Queen Lilio Kalani in our recreations. And she sang that beautiful rendition of Aloha Oi. Fact-checking by Jane Ackerman. Sound design and mixing by Hansdale Shee. Original music by Sax Kicks Ave, Willie Green, Jay Bless, and Bobby Lord. Our theme song is Tokoliana by Coco Co. With music supervision by Liz Fulton, technical direction by Zach Schmidt, show art by Elise Harvin and Talia Rockman. The executive producer at ZSP Media is Zach Stewart-Pontier. The executive producer from Gimlet is Abby Ruzica. Special thanks to Don Sang, Meliana Mayer, the Lilio Kalani Trust, Iolani Palace, Jocelyn Collado, Tammy Hailiopua Baker, Pua Kenny Kenny Kepler, Charon Kepler, Joey Baldwin, Kit Ebersbach, and to Lydia Polgreen, Dan Behar, Emily Wiedemann, Liz Stiles, and Nabil Cholampat. Follow Not Past It Now to listen for free, exclusively on Spotify. Click the little bell next to the follow button to get notifications for new episodes. You can follow me on Twitter, at Simone Polanin. Thanks for hanging. We'll see you next week. Our queen is even more relevant for us today, and she's a symbol of what we lost 